You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Dr. Ilaria Romelli is a highly recognized and accomplished scholar of patristics, the study of the early church fathers. And I am thankful that Peter Hyatt, pastor of the sanctuary in Denver, has granted me permission to share with you part of the interview he did with Dr. Romelli for the Forgotten Gospel Conference held in 2016 at the Sanctuary Church in Denver. You can see video of this interview and hear the full audio from the interview by searching the internet for Forgotten Gospel Conference and Alaria Romelli. That will take you to the website relentless-love.org where you should be able to find it. You can also connect with Peter and the Sanctuary Church in Denver by going to their website at thesanctuarydenver.org. The reason this interview is so important is that Dr. Romelli has provided us with an epic study of the place of Christian universalism in the early centuries of the church in her scholarly masterwork entitled The Christian Doctrine of Apocatastasis, a Critical Assessment from the New Testament to Eugenia. This huge, nearly 1,000-page work is the ultimate academic resource for a detailed understanding of how the Christian hope of universal salvation developed in early Christianity. The word apocatastasis in the title refers to a Greek word found in Acts 3.21. Apocatastasis is often translated into English as the restoration of all things. Thankfully, there is now a condensed, more affordable, and in some ways updated version of Romelli's epic 1,000-page scholarly work. The shorter, condensed version of her scholarship is available now in an incredibly helpful overview entitled, A Larger Hope? Question mark? Universal Salvation from Christian Beginnings to Julian of Norwich, published by our friends at Whipfenstock. We pick up the interview now with Dr. Ramelli, as Peter Hyatt has just been asking her about how she developed an interest in the early church fathers. As Dr. Ramelli explains, It all began in her study of ancient philosophy when she noticed something very unique about how the thinking of the early church fathers contrasted with the ancient Greek philosophers. And what she noticed was the way in which the fathers always did their thinking in light of their eschatology, or how they saw all of creation finally working out in the end. So here now is Dr. Alaria Romelli with my thanks again to Peter Hyatt. The, the theology of the fathers uh, has this prominent eschatological orientation. So this is very strong, and you can see that in almost all, I would say, of patristic theology, and especially in great theologians such as Origen of Alexandria between the 2nd and the 3rd century and the early third, uh, first half of the 3rd century, and uh, Gregory of Nyssa toward the end of the 4th century, one of the great Cappadocian fathers. But then you see it still again in Eugen, this great theologian, as I mentioned, the 9th century, uh, who lived in the West, uh, lived uh, in... Um, in Gaul, actually, he was at the uh, the court of Charles the Bold, so the king of, uh, of that time, uh, uh, and uh, he 
was in the Latin West, but he was very well steeped in the theology of the fathers, the Greek fathers, who are really the great theologians of the church. In the West, maybe Augustine, of course, is great, but there are not great other yeah. huge theological figures and, and philosophical Christian philosophical figure. So it's really how, how did you come to pick uh, mm. the doctrine of apocatastasis? Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, you know, uh, this comes from again from first of all from the readings of the father. So I was really trying to deepen um, this part of the ancient world because I see really patristics in general, early Christianity in general, and patristic philosophy in particular, because you cannot really divide philosophy from theology in the patristic time, so it's very important to keep them together. Um, I see all of this, early Christianity, patristic philosophy and theology, as part and parcel of the ancient world, which I was studying since uh, almost my childhood, so I studied classics a lot. I had a very, very, very long uh, training in classics and two MAs, a PhD, a postdoc, etc., uh, in Milan mainly. Uh, and uh, um, so it's very important that even the philosophy and theology of the fathers are really, special patristic philosophy, uh, are really part and parcel of ancient philosophy, of ancient thought. So for me it was a natural development of seeing what... Uh, what was the thought of uh, the ancient world, the great philosophers, and among these great philosophers, the Christians. And since I am Christian and and, uh, I've been deepening my faith uh, also very much on the cross, and this is also a a kind of mystical way to deepen your faith, maybe in vitus or against my will, but Jesus wanted to give it to me. Exactly, so he enrolled me. And so, uh, so this is why I wanted to explore also this Christian part of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm against this divide of classics on the one side, early Christianity on the other. This makes no sense at all. So it's all holistic. And so there, just reading and reading, I was, first of all, it was evident to me, as I was saying, that there is this very strong eschatological dimension in the thought of the father. So when they think, what is ideal? What is the ideal behavior? What is the ideal for the church? What we should do? How we should behave? How we should pray? What we should think of? They always refer to the telos, which is the end, the ultimate end. Exactly, and the blessed end, of Mm -hmm. course. Uh, And so... um, so I, I wanted to to see how this telos was considered. And of course, this is a bit different from uh, some strands of uh, uh, ancient Greek philosophy for which the telos has no meaning because they have a recurrency of time. So they have recurrent cycles forever. So the world is perpetual. It has no beginning, no end. And so the telos for them does not exist in in a way. Uh, But for these fathers, of course, they were bound by the Bible. So they they had to stick to the Bible as the great revelatory text. And then they interpreted it philosophically, but the great authoritative text for them is the Bible, clearly. And so in the Bible, they, they read about the end of the world. And, and so this is, uh, this is something different from thinking of an infinite succession of uh, eons or of cycles, of temporal cycles. But all of our time is not just a repeti- an infinite repetition of cycles, but is oriented toward the end. And, and this end... Of course, this is the perfection. So I was so attracted to that because, first of all, it was something like thought-provoking to me to see that the fathers were, uh, many fathers, of course, there are lots of nuances, I'm not, uh, I'm not oversimplifying, but... Uh, 
the fathers were really thinking of this telos, not at the end of the world, like only the destruction, so, so to say in, in a negative way, but uh, the great fulfillment. So mm-hmm. it's not the world that has to end because God wants to destroy it or something, but, but because this is the fulfillment. And how this fulfillment works? Well, mo- many fathers, and this struck me a lot uh, initially, also it was something like 20 years ago when I began this investigation. I, I've been actually working at the academic level very hard and interact for, for over 20 years. It's been 20 years of academic research and then, of course, of teaching, etc. So uh, it's a lot of work. And there was, I was seeing um, this kind of thought-provoking of bold ideal of theosis, what the Greek fathers called theosis, which means literally deification. And one say, what does it mean, deification? So that we have to become God? And this is exactly what the fathers say, even though they, they are mostly not speaking in a substantial way. So they are not kind of being blasphemous in, in a way of suggesting that the, the divide between creator, God, and creatures will kind of disappear, of course. It's not that we become God but, in this. But God but, will fill all things. Exactly. But God will be all in all. And, and this is the, the big uh, um, uh, kind of catchphrase, if you like. And the, this is really the text that for most of the fathers was also the... the ground uh, for apocatastasis. Let let me stop you for a second and come back to that to to fill in some of those pieces Um, because we we haven't really even stopped to define it yet so hopefully you can fill that out more but the word word comes from the restoration, right? The restoration of all things is the idea. We're showing this video at a, a conference that we're calling the Forgotten Gospel Conference, the deeper story of God's relentless love. And by forgotten gospel, we don't mean there's Mm. a gospel that... Yeah. secret gospel, uh, well, but yeah, there's yeah, only no, one gospel, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that the gospel is really summed up in the name Jesus, which yeah. means God is salvation, yeah, exactly. and we think, well, gosh, yeah. we think he's going to yeah. do it. So we yeah. Yeah. so we put, um, we kind of have two poles, yeah. or yeah. two ideas that we committed to for the conference, one that scripture's authoritative, however yeah, you absolutely. define that, yeah. Yeah. and secondly, that God reconciles all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross, the Colossians passage. And then we just have invited people to come to the conference. So some people um, have have come as hopeful of the apocatastasis and some as committed to the apocatastasis. Um, and uh, but but all of them probably having suffered a bit from it. And I think. Mm probably with a lot of folks, is because they see that passage in mm. 1 Corinthians 15 or uh, several, uh, Romans 11, yeah, several other exactly. passages. Yeah, it's and full. Have, the New Testament is Yeah, full. I, I can no longer really make yeah. sense of Romans without the idea of the restoration of all yeah, things. I think but they, but they've, but they've so seen it and they've, they've hoped for it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I've <laughs> suffered a lot of grief because of it. I know we have one fellow here at the conference from the Philippines that recently was kicked out of his denomination. Another friend kicked, lost yeah. his job. Yeah. Another yeah. friend. Oh, uh, just, and and, and I think part of what they part of what they suffer with is this this feeling like, am I alone? Am I a heretic? Does anybody mm-hmm. else think this way? Mm-hmm. So so you are kind of like a superhero to all of us because uh, the idea that oh hey I I'm not the first one that's this I'm not alone someone else has seen this so so I I I'm excited to to have you flesh it out a little bit and then also 
um, just to, just to I would just what would you say to them they're they've mm, mm, they've mm, mm, uh, are are they heretics are mm, they alone mm, um, mm, is it I guess the, the big question for everybody is is it really true that that mm, um, a majority of the of the fathers uh, were, were acceptable of this idea or even believe this idea so and so maybe you could um, address that and then yeah, maybe we can yeah. flesh out the so details. So the, the meaning of apocatastasis and the fathers on apocatastasis. So I, first so, of so all, some I people make might key... not even know what we mean by the exactly, fathers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So first, let me let me uh, kind of warn. Uh, I am I am also a systematic theologian. I do teach across in Christology. I've taught, uh, but uh, I basically for research, I am a historical theologian. So my theology is mainly my my, my scholar scholarship is in ancient philosophy, patristic philosophy, patristic theology, mainly the first millennium. Then, I, of course, I study also later, and Julian of Norwich, uh, Meister Eckhart, and so I arrive until uh, from Balthasar. But still, uh, my uh, the great bulk, really, of my huge, huge scholarly work and, and uh, vocation, I would say, scholarly speaking, is really uh, historical theology of the first millennium. And so I speak from this historical perspective, and uh, from the perspective of how also the fathers were reading uh, the Gospels, of course, and the New Testament. And so let me see, first of all, that the very term apocatastasis is, is a Greek word, uh, and it comes from uh, the verb apokathistemi, uh, or apokathistano, which is a simplified uh, version of, of the regular verb apokathistemi, which uh, means uh, uh, I restore, mm, I, I restore, reintegrate, uh, to reintegrate to restore um, and to return even sometimes but mostly rest- restoration or reintegration is really the uh, the meaning of apocatastasis and uh, this term of course it has a, a very uh, wide uh, um, uh, currency you say in in uh, ancient Greek philosophy and in in everyday language and and actually uh, well, one of the volumes of the trilogy that I, I was uh, speaking of for for the next uh, endeavor uh, is exactly on uh, Greek philosophical concepts of apokata so that, that's to say it was a, a Greek word very widespread it was uh, used in many places even in medicine uh, such as a restoration to health mm-hmm. uh, of a patient or uh, for an exile, a person who was exiled, the restoration into mm-hmm. his or her fatherland, so uh, her, her birthplace or, or nation. So um, th- there was, a, and, and one other uh, important meaning of this term uh, was the astronomical meaning, so uh, the return of the planets to their original position or configuration after a long cycle, uh, a long uh, orbit, and an old cycle of time. So it was a, um, a term that had various applications in various fields, uh, but what is also very important is that uh, this term, apocatastasis, uh, is uh, um, 
very much present in the Bible. The verb itself, this is present already in the Septuagint, which is this Greek version of the Old Testament, what we call Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. Uh, and uh, in the New Testament, which is Greek, uh, is extant at least in Greek, uh, then we have translation. So uh, in the New Testament, there is this passage in Acts where St. Peter is speaking and he's announcing uh, the resurrection of Jesus, actually, and then his second coming at the end of the world. Uh, and uh, uh, and there he uses exactly uh, this term, uh, the very the very substantive apocatastasis, uh, and uh, he says uh, that uh, um, Jesus basically will remain in heaven, or the heavens will keep him in, uh, literally, uh, until the times of uh, uh, of the restoration of all. This is uh, the the mechri chronon apocatastasios panton. So the the times of the restoration of all, of which God had spoken. Uh, from time immemorial through the mouth of his holy prophets. Yeah. And, and, and here I, I read immediately a reference to Isaiah, for instance, when he's, he says that in the end uh, the wolf and, and the lamb will sit yeah. together, etc. So this is uh, the idea of the restoration of all. And, and this is also expressed uh, by St. Peter in the speech of Luke, of course, of the, the Acts of the Apostles, um, as in terms of the great anapsuxis, something like a, a comfort, a consolation that will come from God. And this consolation, this great uh, anapsuxis, which will come at the end of the time, will be universal restoration. And, and, is it, is it, yeah. and with the fathers, is it simply restoration or the idea of the telos, as you were saying, that you're arriving at a, a state that you, you weren't at, that, so it's more than a restoration, exactly, it's a exactly. fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. This is another point which, of course, I, uh, I analyzed in depth in the monograph and also in further studies that uh, come out later, and, 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 then, and then it will be continued in the other volume of the trilogy, that on the rejection of Pocatastasis. So there's a lot of examples of uh, different nuances, etc. But again, as a general idea, uh, this um, especially is especially clear in origin or in Greg of Nyssa, which with this uh, notion of epectasis, which is this uh, eternal striving towards God, which is something, of course, dynamic and infinite. And so uh, this is uh, far from a simple static uh, re- uh, repetition of what was at the beginning. Um, the idea is that surely the blessed condition of the beginning was lost through the fall, and so hence the need for a restoration uh, that will kind of undo the disaster that the fall had done, mainly the disaster of sin when evil enters the world. And so evil destroys the great plan of God for all human beings, and then it needs to be restored. So, so Christ plan. restores yeah, and even exactly. more than restores. Exactly. He, he, he does much more. And Christ does much more on the one side, so his, uh, uh, his reparation, so to say, he, he, uh, he is, uh, uh, is super abundant uh, by far, is infinitely yeah. more than, than, than more the than sin, Congress. of course. And, uh, and also, there is also this uh, important factor which origin, but not only origin, also Evagrius, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Eryugena, uh, they, they stress a lot, uh, which is the factor of human free will. So the voluntary adhesion 
of the human being to the will of God, to God as the good, as the supreme good. So uh, the idea is that uh, it's not only the icon, but it's also the homoiosis. This is the language of origin, meaning uh, we, the icon is the image. So we are made all in the yeah. image of God. So all yeah. human beings, irrespective of whatever thing, factor, they are all in the image of God. And this is the datum of the creation, this mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. But uh, the homoiosis, so the likeness to mm-hmm. God, Uh, is uh, something that must be achieved by each of us uh, through personal effort. So it's not something just as a gift that we receive and then we can uh, kind of not collaborate, Mm -hmm. but we must collaborate. Uh, And uh, so... uh, 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 this is uh, this is for the talos. This will be perfected in the I, end. Yeah, Irenaeus talked about that, right? The the image exactly. and the likeness. Exactly. And, yeah, an uh, origin developed from. Well, and that, that, yeah. that was something I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. It, that I was reading. Gosh, a philosopher mm-hmm. wrote his name down. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Bentley Hart. You know David Ooh. Bentley Hart. And oh yeah, I read the Beauty of the Infinite. Uh, yeah, he's done well, very I, I've, I've yeah, only yeah, yeah, touched yeah. on it, but it, he was talking. It, uh, it seems to be pretty influenced by Gregory of Nyssa, mm. and uh, seems to Good ground <laughs> the that the, uh, the doctrine of apo- apocatastasis is uh, really part and parcel of the doctrine of creation ex nihilo yeah. is what he would Absolutely. what he would say so yeah. it, which i think is is uh, is mm. is a fascinating idea yeah. and i think that's what you're saying is mm. that correct yeah. that that that, it, that that the 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 beginning and the end it's all it's all part and parcel of the same thing which yeah, which would then make which is fascinating for me because then that means that uh, soteriology is part of your doctrine of creation and absolutely. not before, before. absolutely and, and a great proof of this I would say is the fact that those who support apocatastasis are all supporters also of the creatio ex nihilo so they origin himself actually he's well, there were other people who were supporting it, but Origen is very probably the first one who really gives a, a philosophical demonstration, uh, even using this argumentum ab absurdo, so, um, uh, from absurdity, uh, of the creation uh, ex nihilo, so that God really created everything from nothing. So, well, well, and I think and, I think that when we did this conference, that was the idea of the deepest story. So yeah. I, I felt like. At least in American evangelicalism, we've lost the deepest story, which mm. is the story of the mm. Creator mm. creating us in His mm. image yeah. and likeness, yeah. and we've mm. gotten stuck on mm. our will and our failure. So we've made the deepest story our failure rather than rather than God's success. Yeah. And a lot of mm. a lot of people um, object to that idea because of the notion of, of free will. Exactly. And yeah. what the fathers, what, what I was reading the conclusion to your book, what the fathers said about free will seems like that might be helpful information to the, to the discussion uh, that, that and it's, if you tell me if this is if I understand you correctly but Origen and Gregory they would argue that uh, when we choose evil it's really not a choice in freedom it's you'd mention it's like a, a mental illness exactly. but when we choose the good we choose the good in freedom and yeah. we choose the good because God has revealed his grace and so then you could say the story of God creating us in his image is the story of God creating a good free will within mm. us right so so it's the, so then we're predestined 
for free will. Was, yeah. Is that what they're saying? And I would say for the good, of course. There's, yeah. there's no predestination pre- pre- to hell. Pre- <laughs> yeah, predestination. So the double yeah. predestination right. is a big so if you, if you choose, if you choose evil, you're not free, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this, you know, this is... A, a, first of all, there, there are two things. One is that most of the fathers were convinced of that, so that the... the Ethical intellectualism and the doctrine of apocatastasis are there in, in, in a great majority. And, and even Augustine and Basil, if it was Basil, uh, I don't think it's Basil, but the pseudo-Basil or whatever, they are attesting both very clearly that the majority of the Christians in their time, so at, and 4th century, 5th century, were supporters of the doctrine of Pogatastri. So this is this is comes even not only from my own research from looking at the text, but even from the voices of those who later opposed this doctrine. Mm-hmm. So they, they recognize this. And one big factor in this doctrine, of course there are huge and many, many philosophical underpinnings of the doctrine of apocatastasis, and one is the ontological non-subsistence of evil, and there are many others. Yeah, I'm going to ask about that as well. Exactly, <laughs> but good. But uh, one very important is exactly this one, this notion of free will. Now, again, the fathers, as we're saying, uh, especially the, those, uh, the Origenian tradition, the great supporters of this doctrine, were very much philosophically minded, and they were all of them mostly Platonists. So they are actually Christian Platonists and very much... Actually, Origen, I think, again, there are lots of arguments for that, was even the same as the Neoplatonist origin. There's one origin, and this is the great Neoplatonist origin. He's our origin. He's the Christian origin, and he's a Neoplatonist. They're recognized as such even by the great pagan philosophers of mm-hmm. his time, and later on, and Proclus, etc. But anyway, so in the, independently of this, uh, they were very much thinking along these philosophical categories. And one of the big philosophical uh, aspects of the heritage of Plato and of Socratic Platonism uh, is exactly so-called ethical intellectualism. And this, is, this comes the idea of what it means for the will to be free. So why, when is the will really free? So now it was already, this is not a novelty of the Christians, I mean, this was already, uh, already in, uh, then of course it was Christianized mm-hmm. profoundly, but still it was already Socrates, at least if we credit Plato. Uh, so if we give credit to Plato, uh, the repre- at least Socrates in the representation of Plato, let us say so, that there are people who say, yes, Plato just speaks, uh, says what Socrates was saying, and are much more skeptical and say, well, we only have the works of Plato. Socrates wrote nothing, so we don't really know. What. But anyway, so Socrates, as he is represented by Plato, was teaching exactly this, that evil is never chosen qua evil. So it's never chosen because it is evil, but it is always chosen by an obubilated mind, so it is always chosen by a defect of knowledge, by a defect of clear thinking, by a defect of intellect, uh, and it is chosen because it is mistaken for a good, but it is not good. And this is exactly the explanation that even St. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, who is a Christian Platonist in late 4th century, was giving 
looking for the fall, so for, for the original sin, so the, the head of all sins, and he was exactly explaining it in Socratic terms, in the terms of Socrates, which were the terms of Musonius Roof, all the Socratic tradition, Platonic Socratic tradition, uh, which went into the Stoics also, so, which is this ethical intellectualism. He was saying, well, the forefathers of Adam and Eve, the, the protoplasts, chose uh, to eat this forbidden fruit, and that was clearly an evil because that was contravening the order of God. Uh, that was clearly an evil. But why did they choose it? Because not because it was evil. They chose it because uh, they it looked good. Yeah. So they it but seemed to them that it was. Isn't good. that the wonderful thing in the story? They chose to eat it, but they didn't know good and evil, so they couldn't see the good to choose it, which yeah. is the beginning of the story of redemption and apocatastasis. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And another factor that Gregory underlines very much is that, which is clear in the Genesis story. So uh, Gregory is really reading the Genesis story about the fall, about the original sin, in the Socratic Platonic terms mm -hmm. of ethical intellectualism. And he say, look here, the Bible is saying the same thing as Socrates was saying, meaning that they chose evil because... Uh, it looked good because they were deceived. And who deceived them? The devil. Mm -hmm. The devil was deceiving them. And so they, 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 there is always a, a fa an intellectual factor. Mm -hmm. So they, they thought wrong because the devil give, gave them the wrong mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so uh, uh, one may say, well, this is kind of a, a petitio principi. So then uh, the, the, the sin is now with the devil and not with the forefathers. And, yeah. and so wh what about the sin of the devil? And this is, uh, Gregorianis is not so much interested in that, but he also speaks of the devil and even of the restoration mm -hmm. of the devil well, I th uh, I think, and origin. Uh, I think it was mm. Karl, Karl Barth that mm. defined God as the one who... Hope I'm remembering this correctly. The one who chooses the good in freedom. Mm. So mm. to be made in mm. his likeness is mm. to is to be able to choose mm. the good in freedom. And yeah. so it, it seems to me that what they are, they are saying is that uh, when uh, apocatastasis is part of the doctrine of creation, that God is in the business of creating us in his likeness by creating within us the capacity mm -hmm. to choose the good in freedom. So mm. God is speaking us into existence with his word who is Jesus the Christ and in a sense we're witnessing our own creation in this mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. and the fathers would argue that uh, God must be successful in his creation of a good free will within us right so th that's that's what's exciting to me because it seems to bring together the Calvinism that I grew up with, mm -hmm. okay. along with the Arminianism that were <laughs> double that were yeah that were <laughs> that were yeah that were yeah. predestined for yeah. this good yeah. free will yeah. and you know and then Bart pulls the double predestination yeah. in with yeah. Christ uh, bearing bearing our curse. There, yeah. There's a fascinating uh, mm. word that we spent some time studying. Mm at church because we were mm -hmm. preaching through Ephesians in Ephesians 1.10 I started to learn about the word anakephalio mm. in, oh yeah in this Greek. is also very important and, and yes. you you, a friend Mike sent me yeah. this quote from your book from yeah. page okay. 418 yeah. Good. You, you wrote Gregory relies on origin for his core argument mm. that the salvific submission of yeah. Christ oh, to yeah. the Father yeah. refers not to Christ's own divinity yeah. but to his body yeah. that is human. all human yeah. beings and to me that Ephesians 1.10 has to do with that. Hmm. What, 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 could you tell us about that? Hmm. 
You know, this quote um, comes from Inillo de Tunketips Ephilius, which is, the is a short work, but extremely important, both for the Christology of Gregory of Nyssa and for his soteriology and eschatology. Uh, and this short work shows very well two things. One is his dependence on origin, and then I will, show, I will speak of that. And the other is uh, that it confirms that Gregor of Nyssa, just as Origen before him, supported this doctrine of apocatastage, which is all in that treatise, mm -hmm. uh, in order to support orthodoxy against heresy. In this case, the heresy was the heresy of Arianism, or neo-Arianism, as it's called, eunomius, um, etc. But um, so the Arians, uh, again, in scare quotes, but let, let us take the category. So the Arians uh, were interpreting the sentence in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, uh, when uh, St. Paul says uh, that the son will submit to the father that God may be all in all in the end, they were taking this submission to the father as a proof of their own position of the inferiority of the son to the father. Because they interpreted this submission in terms of the divinity of the son. So the divinity of the son is in a way inferior to the divinity of the father. So this means that the son is inferior to the father. Uh, and Gregory was uh, countering this, was objecting to that, uh, refuting this, and was saying, when St. Paul speaks of the submission of the Son, he's not uh, meaning the submission of the divinity of the Son, but the submission of the humanity of the Son, which is the body of Christ, because Christ has taken up all of humanity. And so when we speak of the humanity of the Son, really we mean all of humanity, all human beings uh, ever existed. So... Um, this is the interpretation, this is the exegesis, of the, the interpretation that Gregory gives of the words of Paul, which is an anti-Aryan interpretation mm -hmm. and is an orthodox interpretation, Nicene interpretation. Now, uh, this is first is very important because when, when uh, it shows that Gregory was linking apocatastasis to orthodoxy, so to anti-Arianism, so to his orthodox support, uh, the support of the orthodox doctrine against the, uh, the heresy of Arianism. And uh, he supports apocatastasis in this connection because he says that when the son will submit to the father in the end, this means that all humanity will submit to the father because this is the body of Christ, mm -hmm. this is all humanity. But this submission is voluntary, so it's not a forced submission because free will is sovereign for them. Origen, Gregory, Amnista, they want everything to be voluntary. They mm -hmm. don't, God doesn't want the forced submission yeah. of everyone, and of anyone, even, not even of the devil. If the devil converts, it must be a spontaneous, a voluntary conversion. So uh, he's saying that this passage of St. Paul shows that not the inferiority of the son, but to the contrary, shows the salvation of humanity in the end, because all humanity will submit to God voluntarily, and this means that it will be yeah. saved. Because we'll So, yeah, may, may I, I add just yeah, one yeah, other yeah, thing? Yeah. The, uh, the, the important thing is also that St. Gregory of Nyssa, so in this way, it's clear that he was supporting apocatastasis, because this is apocatastasis, uh, in a context of a defense of orthodoxy against heresy. So, it's not that it's heresy, but it's actually in, yeah, in support show, of orthodoxy. Showing that the church fathers exactly, were exactly. viewed apocatastasis 
as, as, the, as, as the Orthodox, Orthodox physician. Absolutely, and grounded in scripture. Yeah. This is what how the fathers saw that, and most of the fathers at least. And uh, on the other hand, it, it's also very important to notice that in this uh, treatise, uh, in Illu Tunkatipsephilius, this one and in the interpretation of these words of Paul, uh, every single argument and even every singular scriptural quotation that Gregory puts forward is taken from origin. I have made this demonstration not, not only not so much in the book because the book was already huge, but in a couple of other long essays in which I really have uh, uh, put together uh, uh, really in a, in a in a comparison and see uh, and, and show that every word of Gregory of Nice in that in that um, uh, treatise is taken from origin. So he was following origin. So this also means that origin was not uh, a precursor of Arianism, but he was anti-Arian because yeah. origin already was saying that the son uh, does not submit to the father in his divinity because the son is not inferior to the father. And this was the Arian position. Yeah. But origin was saying the opposite. Mm-hmm. And he was saying exactly St. Paul announces instead the restoration of all humanity uh, through the, sub- the voluntary submission. And, and again, this was very clear. So Origen was supporting the doctrine of apocatastasis against the, the arch heresy of his day, which was Valentinianism and Martianism. And Gregor of Nyssa, later on in the fourth century, was, was supporting it in defense of orthodoxy against Arianism. So uh, it was a doctrine used against the heresies of their days, of their, their yeah, time. It shows that the, yeah. it was considered as yeah. the orthodox exactly. position. Exactly. Well, the, there were so many things you said that, that all these sparks are flying in my brain. Um, that that word, an, so to tie yeah. it back to that yeah. word anakephalio, yeah. which I yeah. learned yeah. Yeah. to bring together yeah. Yeah. under yeah. 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 one That's wounded head, that God is yes. bringing everything together yeah. under one yeah. wounded head. And when Paul said we are the body of Christ, he really meant we're the body of Christ. Yeah. And so yeah. to to do the and this mm. is a fascinating thing we've been yeah. looking at church, to do the mm. will of God mm. somehow means to give give birth to the will of God within oh, yeah. you. Yeah. And the will of God is voluntary free submission, which I think we would call love. Yeah. And then scripture, I so boldly John says, Well, God is love. So if you tie that together with the idea of theosis or being mm. made, uh, mm. being deified. W- would they, um, do the fathers speak of, St. Paul has an amazing mm. verse in, mm. in First Corinthians where he talks about the fact that we become one spirit with oh, God, yeah. which is a verse that's always fascinated me that, that I think, well, so a good free will in me or a good choice in me or love mm. in me, mm-hmm. well, God, is that you or is that me? Because... I, I, the moment I take credit for it with my ego, well, then it's no longer good. So, so I have a good free will, but if I hang on to it as if it's my my right or my possession or something yeah. oh, I can yeah. be proud yeah. for, yeah. then it immediately becomes yeah. evil. But if exactly. I become a channel yeah. for yeah. the love of love of God, give birth to the will of God, yeah. is so, so the the picture I have in my mind is that what the fathers are saying mm-hmm. and Saint Paul is saying mm-hmm. is that. God is in the business of theosis, mm. anakephalio, um, apokatastasis, uh, b- pulling his yeah. pulling his mm. whole body yeah. together, mm. but doing it yeah. by creating mm. a good free will in yeah. all of his creatures mm. that come mm. together in this unity that is actually yeah. the body of Christ. Yeah. Which mm. now, when I read yeah. the scripture, yeah. I just see mm. it over and over mm. and over and over again. And uh, it's it's encouraging to know 
oh that that's that it was an that's an orthodox position that that the fathers ascribed to so how so how did how did that get lost hmm you know, yeah, this was, yeah, thank you for that. This is very important, of course, and, and this is the sub, this will be the subject, it's in the works, but for a long time. Uh, um, this will be the subject exactly of, of the third monograph, or the third uh, monograph of the trilogy on Apocatastasis, or Christian Apocatastasis, pagan philosophical Apocatastasis, and the relationship with the Christian doctrines in Proclus, Damascus, etc., and, and the rejection, as I, the title, working the rejection of apocatastasis is probably for the fear option. I, I, I still have to think about the, the exact title, but uh, so exactly. So how does it uh, did it uh, happen that uh, uh, this doctrine was marginalized as heretical? Of course, there were heretical strands to that, uh, and I mean there were some uh, forms that were heretical, but. Uh, surely not the doctrine of Gregory of Nyssa that was, and in fact the doctrine of Gregory of Nyssa has never been condemned by the church he was not even in the famous condemnations of Justinian under Justinian well, 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 yeah. and, and people like Irenaeus and Athanasius yeah. also agreed with this yeah. right and they yeah. in seminary they were always yeah, the yeah. Yeah. superheroes exactly of- exactly also be, probably also because both Athanasius and Irenaeus are not really outspoken. I mean, there are many hints, and they surely also, Irenaeus surely also influenced a lot subsequent theologians, including Gregory, who supported Apocatastasis. And Athanasius has some explicit statements, even though he doesn't have a treatise, so to say, where he theorizes that. And so Gregory is more surprising because... Probably was because in his, later on he was taken as speaking of purgatory in many passages, which was not, of course, because in his time there was hell and, and, and paradise. But, but um, uh, it's curious because Gregory of Nyssa is never mentioned in any of these accusations or, or um, whether false or true uh, so-called condemnations of origin or Evagrius, for instance, is there, Didymus is there, but not Gregory of Nyssa. And yet, and this is a paradox because I would say that Gregory of Nyssa uh, is even more um, even more outspoken about apocatastasis than Origen was. Yeah. So that's very curious because Gregory is never is never condemned in any document of the church, in any official... Well, and the condemnation of Origen is a questionable is proposition. It's very questionable, right? exactly. Or even because, even, even in the canons from this famous council from uh, under Justinian, so in the 6th century, uh, there is reason even to think that the name of Origen was just uh, added later, and it is actually misplaced even chronologically. So it, it's very difficult. It's true that even... Even the, the doctrine of apocatastasis is mentioned there once, uh, and it's called ten teratode apocatastasis. Uh, so the monstrous doctrine of apocatastasis, but is is it's a doctrine that is not, for instance, the one supported by Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, uh, it's it's very tricky because, of course, uh, we, we have to ask what form of originism, and this is a huge story. I, I, it will be addressed in my book. There's also Istvan Perzel who is working a lot on on 
these, uh, uh, these times of Justinian and all the strife, it was a lot of internal uh, oppositions between factions of monks who then uh, were particularly influential at court. And, and so it's a very political thing, uh, I would say, and has very little to do with theology. It's much more with politics and with factions and rivalries, etc. It's very sad business. Uh, but um, it's very curious that Gregory is never there. So Gregory is not, never, no one uh, takes issue with him. And yet I would say that while Origen was more, uh, in a way, cautious, uh, he was very cautious about speaking uh, of apocatastis overtly. Uh, and for instance, not the apocatastis of the devil. He say, I, I never sa uh, said anything like that because he thought that the devil will be saved only after uh, conversion. So he will be saved the qua creature, but not qua devil. He, he must cease to be devil before uh, being saved. So yeah. the, and so he has a lot of this. Whereas Gregory of Nyssa is very clear in, in Oratio Catechetica, for instance, which is his great catechetical oration, uh, where he spells out all the principles of faith for for any believer. It's not a particularly esoteric uh, work or secret mm -hmm. work. It's very much public and something for every believer to, to with the, the tenets of faith. And here, uh, he, he says very clearly that the devil will be saved, that Christ will save even the devil. He will convert and he will be saved. And, and, and so in this his apocatas is even more radical, or at least Gregory's. more outspoken uh, than that of Origen. So, Greg, and yet there's no no issue no of condemnation of Gregory of Nyssa, probably because he was already the great uh, church father and saint, and, and nobody uh, nobody dared uh, to to yeah. So, uh, so, so t Thomas Talbot, I know in his book, yeah. he talks oh, yeah. he talks oh, yeah. about yeah. that yeah. the uh, the idea of the apocatastas as falling out of favor mm. uh, mm. along about the yeah. time of the Council of Nicaea yeah. and. Yeah coming under the influence of the Roman Empire, and which makes a lot of sense biblically that you resort to the patterns of the mm. principalities and powers which govern yeah. through fear. I mean, do you mm. see that in your research, that the, that the um, control of the empire changed the theology of the yeah. church? I think that actually what the, 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 the idea that uh, I have for um, first title or subtitle is the fear option. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so investigation into the causes of the rejection of apocatastasis. Yeah. So We're the reasons afraid not to be afraid. Yeah. So the fear option. Uh, surely one of the, there are many factors, and, and I will spell them out. I will try, of course, to analyze all of them in this model, which will, won't be so long as the the first volume, uh, but still uh, it's very complex because there are a number of factors and they are all even different in the East from the West uh, and so there are political issues, uh, there are uh, political ecclesiastical issues, there are uh, theological issues, uh, philosophical issues, even linguistic issues. If we have time, we can go into that and explain what I mean by that. Uh, there, there are pastoral concerns. So there are, there are a number of things. Uh, you know, pastoral concerns were already uh, in origin himself. Origin himself was saying you shouldn't speak we pastors because he was a presbyter himself, at least in, uh, from a certain point onward. And Gregory was a bishop, so they were all uh, you know responsible for their flocks. And, and uh, but um, Greg, why Gregory again? 
is never never saying in any work that we should be afraid of speaking of apocatas mm-hmm. we should Gregory doesn't have any, or at least doesn't voice these concerns. Whereas Origen, uh, in a good pastor as a, as a presbyter, he was always saying, "No, we, we should, we shouldn't actually uh, tell the truth to those who are not morally advanced." And so, uh, so there is a, because, of course, the concern was that for people uh, who do the good, so stick to good behavior, only out of fear, and this is where fear comes out uh, of fear of punishments clearly now and in the other world it is much better for them uh, to fear that they will go to hell and stay there forever and burn there and so not to sin in this way it's almost like the dispensation of the law that Paul talks about right before the grace comes in exactly but but Gregory didn't do that Uh, my friend friend Mike who's really putting this conference together he wanted me to ask you um, have you heard the, the phrase, the reformative power of the apocatastasis? Mm, um, mm. And, oh, yeah. and I think what he was asking yeah. was, well, mm. is, there, is there an ethical dimension to mm. believe in the apocatastasis that, that the churches miss because mm. we, we motivate through people through fear yeah. and, exactly. and which yeah. perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. could exactly. you, I yeah. mean, do, do the, do the yeah. fathers ever uh, debate that? Like the, that strategy of origin and the strategy of Gregory? <laughs> you know, the... The fathers debate a lot, including Origen and Gregory himself, uh, debated a lot this opposition between love and fear. And so they say, to those who do the good out of love, uh, we can speak of apocatastasis because they are already mature enough to do. So it's again a very, I would say, didascalic uh, way of uh, approach. Uh, but Gregory again may have believed, well, uh, I mean, even Gregory sometimes, through Macrine at least, uh, we don't know whether, again, um, Macrine was his elder sister and uh, his venerated sister, and uh, they have a beautiful dialogue, the animators on the soul and the resurrection, uh, where she's dying and, and he's assisting her, uh, and, and she's speaking about the, the immortality of the soul and apocatastasis. So Macrine is the great teacher of apocatastasis to, his, uh, to her younger brother, uh, Gregory. And Gregory credits her with this title of Partenos di Caididascalo, so the virgin, because she was a consecrated virgin, and teacher or professor, so she was my professor. Uh, and uh, Macrina, in this dialogue uh, on her deathbed, uh, speaking of apocatastasis, and so uh, opening up this huge hope, so he, uh, Gregory was very sad because he was seeing that he was, she was dying, but Macrina was happy because she was going to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, she she uh, and she's opening up this uh, you know wonderful panorama, this wonderful landscape of uh, of immortality of the soul and uh, resurrection of the body and universal restoration after that. So Macrina in this dialogue, this is the only probably passage in Gregory of Nyssa in his work, uh, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, in which some pastoral concern is voiced, is expressed, uh, and it's it's Macrina, it's not Gregory. 
Gregory speaking, because it's a dialogue. There's Gregory speaking and Macrina speaking. And Macrina uh, says, uh, well, again, she's very, in a way, pastoral or didascalic, uh, didactic in a way. And so she's recommending uh, the readers, because of course it's a dialogue then to be read to, to all Christians and uh, or even other uh, readers. She recommends, don't do evil. So try not to commit sin as far as you can, because then in order to remove the dirt that sin, uh, so to say, with which sin covers you, mm -hmm. uh, she uses metaphors, uh, you will need a very painful cleaning yeah. up. Uh, and this yeah. will even scourge you, etc., and, and will scratch you away your skin, etc., and so all sorts of images. But uh, so it's a recommendation. It's in a way... Uh, based on the fear uh, mechanism, in a way. So, look, uh, she tries to uh, elicit fear in... Yeah. Well, uh, in and there, the, there yeah. seems to be a place for fear in the Gospels, and yeah. that Jesus, oh, yeah. he, he warns the Pharisees yeah. the most about the outer darkness and Gehenna, yeah, and exactly. that, that probably gets yeah. into some of those language issues, but the... Uh, um, in pastoring people, yeah. when I've introduced the doctrine of apocatastasis, yeah. um, and people respond by saying, well, then why should I choose the good? It's mm. a bit terrifying because I, I want to say, well, I don't know if you've ever chosen the good mm. be because you've, it's, it's all been out of fear and mm. in a bargain and yeah, that, that, yeah, that's exactly. what I love. So it exactly. seems like there's a point at which yeah. the doctrine needs yeah. to be introduced yeah. Yeah. in order to lead people on to maturity. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, yeah, it's very important. I mean, the, this point is very important because I, I would say that, of course, Gregory and... and, 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 and and uh, probably the, the the inner circle of Evagrius and even they, they really did think that there is even this uh, this power to the doctrine of Apocatar to show the in, in, uh, this is clear for instance in Isaac of Nineveh Isaac of Nineveh uh, also Isaac of Nineveh really uh, in, in a way his strategy is really uh, working a lot on the immense love of God and 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 this is. Uh, uh, this really rules out immediately fear and, and, and should kind of uh, drag us all uh, to God immediately in a response, uh, in a response to the immense love of God. So we cannot but love God back and choose the good because God is the supreme good uh, without any hesitation. And this is Isaac of Nineveh, who, who is another from the Syriac tradition, mm -hmm. but uh, he's uh, probably through Evagrius, uh, and, and he's uh, um, a mystic, a wonderful thinker and, and, and a theologian and mystic of uh, the 8th century, so it's rather late. Uh, and, uh, and Isaac uh, is all... Um, speaking always about the immense love of God, and so he thinks that uh, even in Gehenna, so the word for hell, uh, there is the love of God. The love of God is, you cannot kind of take okay. it away from yeah. anywhere. And, and even this becomes, for, for Isaac, this becomes uh, very clear, uh, especially on, in the case of the cross of Christ. They say, why did Jesus choose to die? He had to die for the redemption of the world. But why did he choose to die in such a horrifying way? Because, of course, when we think of the cross, we are totally uh, horrified, uh, the, 
all horrible suffering. Uh, he could die maybe in another way, mm-hmm. all right, less terrifying. Uh, but he chose, uh, and why, uh, asks uh, Isaac. And this is just only to show to us the immensity of his love. Mm-hmm. So my love is so great yeah. that I go even to that. Participates in all human yeah. suffering. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, this is all the mystic of the cross, which St. Julian of Norwich, of course, has yeah. very I well. Just, and, and, yeah. just yeah. love Julian yeah. of Norwich. But, yeah. but, to, but yeah. to finish that thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you would, uh, up until mm. after Nicaea 325, mm. 350, mm. the predominant mm. view in mm. the early church was a, mm. was a, view, of, uh, a view of apocatastasis. Yeah. Ap- and it was still in the 5th century. And, uh, still, yeah. so the, still when... So, Augustine was. Yeah, speaking. even yeah. even I heard you mention even Augustine, the early exactly. Augustine, yeah. uh, believe in the apocatastasis. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on, when at least formally he rejected it or pretended to the we we don't really know exactly, but still he's clear in writings that he is rejecting it. At least in his writing, he wants to show that he's rejecting it. Uh, then later on, he's still saying that that quam that plurimi, so the, the vast majority of Christians mm-hmm. were Do, believing yeah, Even Augustine saying yeah. in the 4th century. Exactly. So in, in the 5th, in yeah. the early 5th, so, even so the first half of the To fifth. everybody sitting out there feeling like they are alone, the early church is with you, right? The early church, very, very of course, we, we don't, I mean, we have these testimonies of Augustine, then we have all the texts of the fathers, and, and we can delve into it. Of course, there were some who, like Tertullian, who didn't believe in mm-hmm. He's a father, but he, I, I don't love particularly Tertullian's great theological thoughts on the Trinity already, etc. But uh, So there are some fathers in, in, whom, uh, in whose writings it's rather clear that they rejected Apocatastasis, but there are, there are very few uh, where it's so um, clear, uh, and many, many others who are really either clearly in favor of it, uh, either in the hopeful form, or at least in the form for all humanities, other, other, uh, other um, include uh, really all creations, or yeah. the devil, the, the angel, others are concerned yeah. on, at least only with humanity, and maybe they don't uh, want to care about the devils or the demons, yeah. so to say, but yeah. still, uh, there are, uh, there's a number, a number, and, and then here also comes a very important linguistic issue that might appear maybe something like only for scholars, something like too technical, but in fact uh, impinges a lot, I mean, bears a lot, a great deal uh, onto this issue uh, because it's not absolutely enough. I mean, this is an, as a methodological statement. It's not enough that, in a, especially in a Greek father, uh, you find the word ionios uh, as usually translated as eternal, in reference to the fire of hell or death or punishment or colasis ionios, pure ionion, thanatos ionios, eternal death. It's not enough that you find that word maybe three or four times in a father uh, to say that this father rejected apocatastasis. That's absolutely, because this word ionios is biblical and it's used normally by Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, and, and they were supporters of Apocatastasis. So that means nothing. It's just a mistra- mistranslation. Right. Well, uh, I, and this is very important. I don't know how much of yeah. this will play, play, for, play for the whole conference, but I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I, spent, I spent some time reading some of what you wrote on Ideos and Ionios. Mm. And, yeah. um, I, the, 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 one thing that I'm really fascinated mm. with, my mm-hmm. background is, yeah. 
in natural science yeah. with a bachelor degree in, in geology, yeah, which isn't yeah, much, yeah. but but I have an appreciation for for physics and mm. and the the implications of modern physics are mm. astounding in terms mm. of space and time mm. and understanding mm. of how mm. time mm. works mm. and chronology. Yeah. And I've been through through all yeah. the trauma yeah. I've been yeah. through yeah. theologically with my church. It's forced me to go back and mm -hmm. examine a lot yeah. of those texts and the word Ionios. And uh, I'm intrigued by the idea that the, the view of, of uh, the, the implications of modern physics on mm, our view of mm, space and time mm. make it much more possible mm. to, 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 mm. to read the Bible mm. according to its original mm. meaning. Mm. So, mm, mm, so, you know, for the last, what, several hundred years, we've been kind of imprisoned with an Enlightenment way of mm. thinking that all yeah. time is chronological yeah, yeah, and it yeah, continues yeah, yeah. just exactly. in a line. Yeah. Yeah. And so when yeah. we read yeah. that yeah. God is named I am and before Abraham was I am and that we're already seated in the heavenly places with yeah. Christ, the, the modern mind tends to think, oh, that's all metaphor. But now with a postmodern mm -hmm. mind and mm -hmm. postmodern mm -hmm. physics, mm -hmm. there are all sorts of opportunities, all, so, all sorts of implications that are fascinating for yeah. scripture. And, yeah. and one of mm -hmm. my frustrations in mm -hmm. reading material on mm. the word eternity is mm, mm. we don't even understand what it means in English, let alone <laughs> in Greek. So, yeah. so yeah. eternity, eternity mm. can mean um, a, a, an endless succession of mm. chronological mm. time mm. to some mm. people. Yeah. To other people it means no time, mm. which is the exact exactly. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the implications yeah. of physics, you know, yeah. if you travel at the speed yeah. of light, all yeah. of time is yeah. present and yeah. an eternal now. Yeah. When I go back to the word Ionios, it's fascinating to me that the word seems to be used in in, in a variety of ways. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but the implications the for the yeah. for the Ionios fire and so what I picked up from you, Hilaria, yeah. and you yeah. tell me if yeah. I'm getting yeah. this, is yeah. that that Ideos seemed to be uh, used more in reference to endless chronological time, mm. and Ionios was a word that um, could be used in in different ways and. Yeah. In exactly. different places. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this is this is my really big question. Okay. Mm, mm, mm. Um, is the well, I, I've I've done a lot of thinking about the the six days of creation mm. and the seventh day as being um, a, a picture of all space and time, mm, and I have mm, reasons mm, for mm. saying that from physics and all. Mm, and the seventh day mm, as being mm. a picture of mm. the. Uh, Apocatastasis. Yeah. Oh yeah, these and the fathers had a lot. Do of they talk about that? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. okay. So this is yeah. so fascinating for me because I don't. Are you aware of a, a physicist named Gerald Schroeder? He's in. He's in Israel. He's. Mm. But, but this is. Yeah, you, the yeah. implications are so yeah. Yeah. wonderful because he says, mm. you know, because of relativity, mm. if you're standing from the a mm. reference point of the Big Bang mm. and you were to look at the mm. Earth, that. Mm. Mm. That not metaphorically, but actually, mm. um, the age of the universe from the standpoint of the background radiation would be yeah. about six days old, mm. which is utterly fascinating when you get to Genesis chapter one and you think, oh, yeah. could we be living in the sixth day, which is the day of Anakaphalio and Theosis yeah. Yeah. and God yeah. making us in his, his likeness on the edge of this eternal seventh day, which, and the door to that seventh day is Jesus crying, it is finished on the yeah. cross. And, yeah. you know, St. Paul talked about how mm -hmm. the eons, um, we, we come to the yeah. end of the eons yeah. in Jesus, um, which, which to me is, there are utterly fascinating ideas that, well, what is the, is the apocatastasis, 
you could say, the other side of the Big Bang, the, mm. the other side of space yeah. and time, and we're in this. So did the fathers speak about that? Mm. Yeah, there are, there are two, two important things. One is all this speculation about the sixth day, the seventh day, and something, sometimes even the eighth day, uh, and, and you find it in Be, Because, because, the, because the eighth day is like yeah. a continual seventh day, right? The exactly. Con- is, is, is there real eternity outside of time yeah, forever? Yeah, yeah. So this is, and linked to that is the concept underlined very much by the Greek philosophical fathers, uh, such as Origen, but also Eugena, who is following him a lot, uh, and he was really a Neoplatonic philosopher, is the idea that only God is really eternal. So nothing else and nobody else is eternal. So what does this mean? God is the good, is life. So this means that life is really eternal. The good is eternal. But the opposite of that, death, evil. This cannot be eternal because God is eternal and and what God is is eternal but not the opposite of God. And so this this is also all the the metaphysical implications of the notion of good attached to God and evil as privation privation of good. And so evil is not a kind of like in the Manichaean idea is a kind of equal to God, but is only privation, is only negativity. And Gregory of Nyssa was saying God wanted us to taste evil, to to uh, get a repulsion for that finally, yes. and so turn back to God. And, and so this is uh, and also there is a wonderful um, kind of syllogism, so an argument a philosophical argument that origin develops uh, and, and this is very Strong and, and, and this also makes me think that when Basil was going against this, this is not the true Basil because Basil knew origin very well. So anyway, so in this syllogism, in this uh, argument, which is a kind of Aristotelian argument, uh, uh, origin is saying if life is eternal and life is eternal because life is Christ and Christ is God and God is only, only God is eternal, then death, which is the, op- the contradictory opposite mm-hmm. of life, cannot be it's eternal. temporal. Exactly. We, we, uh, years ago so. we preached the revelation and I mm. published a mm. commentary mm. on it. And mm. the thing oh, that, that really yeah. put me over the edge mm. into mm. this mm. camp mm. was uh, when we got get to Revelation, I think it's 20, right before 21, mm. where, where death and Hades are thrown in the lake exactly. of fire and death exactly. is no more. Yeah. And, I, and I've been really wrestling mm. with what's Hades, what's Gehenna, yeah. what's the lake of fire, yeah. and realized, well, Hades cannot be, it has to be temporal it cannot be exactly. eternal exactly. The, and hmm. the the thing that fascinated me and hmm. i've argued with professors about this so i don't mm-hmm. i could be nuts on this but when i was studying the the revelation it talked about the lake of, of fire, uh, of fire. Yeah. and the yeah. is fire and theon and theon you know, is it Zulf. when I read that Zulfur. I thought, okay, now that's a yeah, fascinating yeah, word because yeah, yeah. Cause it can mean sulfur, but it also is an adjective that can be a substantive yeah. and translated as divinity. Divin- divine, yeah. Well, yeah, that yeah. to me opened up all sorts of doors having to do with the word Ionion mm. and understanding the Ionion mm. punishment mm. that mm. that that well, gosh, if the fire 
really is God, mm. like scripture mm. says, God yeah. is a consuming yeah. fire. A consuming well, then the yeah. punishment is yeah. God. So, God. This so is what, Isaac Covenant of an original. Would they say, yeah, so the punishment for darkness yeah. is light. Yeah. The punishment yeah. for lies is truth. The punishment yeah. for death is to be yeah. exposed to life. Yeah. The punishment for, for lostness is to be mm. exposed to the mm. way who, who is Jesus. And then all those problems about, well, in Matthew 25, mm. the, the sheep and the, the goats, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. both, one goes into the um, Ionios life and the other into the Ionios yeah. Colossan. And, and Talbot suggested this, I, I noticed that, and this makes sense to me, mm-hmm. well, the Ionios life and the Ionios Colossan are the same thing. They're the Ionios mm-hmm. fire. They're the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Jesus is standing in yeah. front of the temple yeah. And both goats mm-hmm. and sheep would go. Both the 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 burnt offering and mm-hmm. the sin offering would go into the same fire, mm-hmm. which is the fire that comes down from the Father that from is to be heaven. perpetual yeah, and exactly. never to go out. And so, ultimately, if God is fire, and I and Theosis is occurring in me, and Anakephalao, I'm destined to be filled with the fire of God. Yep. So. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yeah. Yeah. in the fiery furnace, and it, and it burns away the evil. It purifies exactly. the it's good. a purifying fire. But, yeah. And we yeah. years ago, my wife yeah. and we prayed for a friend for years yeah. that had yeah. been struggling with all sorts of demonic things, and mm. and we really? realized, oh, yeah, just yeah. this is that was the other thing that pushed me over the edge. I mm. watched what Jesus would do to heal her, mm. and it was amazing because we could pray for God to send His fire, yeah. or we could pray for God to send His love, and the effect was the same. It would. It would burn demonic things exactly. and comfort course, us. And, uh, and uh, I thought, wow, God is so good. And um, so ultimately, and this is, this is where I love to bar it, that, well, that God's judgment and God's punishment is His grace. That, that grace the is the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is what the, fi- the fathers have thought. It's the same thing. And this is what Origen was again insisting against the heresy of Martianite. Because mm-hmm. the Martianite were saying that either God is just or God is merciful or God is good. Yeah. And, and you know, this is the same as Augustine is saying. Augustine yeah. was saying that God is just with some and God is good with others. Yeah. So God is good only with those who are saved and God is just with all the others who are damned. Mm-hmm. But Origen was saying, no, God is both good and just at the same time. Yeah. And his goodness is his justice, and his justice is his goodness. Yeah. So now, how is this manifested? First, his justice is manifested in this purifying fire. So mm-hmm. evil must be destroyed. So this is not that evil. Evil has no home uh, when God is all in all. Yeah. So this is, again, this Origen has a, a great argument, a very long and uh, thoroughly argued argument, uh, that... Uh, uh, if God has to be all in all, and this is revealed, so we must believe that, uh, as Paul says, as St. Paul says, that God will be all in all. So this means that evil will have no place anymore, yeah. anywhere, in yeah. any soul. Because God, if, if God is there everywhere, in every soul, in, any, in every body, evil has no place. Because yeah. evil cannot coexist with God. They are two contradictory opposites. So yeah. either there's God or there's evil. Because yeah. God is good. And so he says evil will 
disappear, evil will vanish, will will have no place anymore, and God will fill everything. But this but this will be through the elimination of evil. But well, this, no, is, this, this is this is, is both a punishment. This, this is origin. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this is both a punishment. But the punishment is a benefit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not yeah. that uh, it is not a punishment that looks back without a, a positive purpose. But the punishment itself is a benefit. So we uh, Gregory of Nyssa uh, even goes beyond and, and even says in the anima through with Macrina, his sister actually speaking, and she say we cannot even call it a punishment, it's actually a benefit, mm-hmm. because the primary goal of God is never to even to punish. Yeah. God never even thinks of punishing, but he wants to purify. And purification, of course, had this side effect of suffering, because, of course, evil has to be burnt out, so to yeah. say, to be eliminated. And if the soul is kind of entangled, is really still uh, too filled with evil, the soul will suffer through yeah. This purification, but this is still a purification. It's not. Well, and is not, that and is yeah. that what, yeah. what helped me with that idea was when Paul would talk about the old man or the false oh, man yeah, or yeah, the, yeah. the body oh, yeah, of flesh. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. that they're, they're really so. It's very important for me to confess my sin and not identify with my sin because my sin really will be destroyed. And yeah. that that, oh, yeah. that sinful self ultimately is built yeah. on a lie. Yeah. But if I identify with it, yeah. the fire will burn. If yeah. I surrender yeah. it, yeah. then the fire is sweet. And that's, that's what we saw yeah. Yeah. in this really tangible and shocking way with, with this we friend when we would yeah. pray yeah. for her. And yeah, it also right. led to, I've been fascinated yeah. with what Origen and Gregory mm. would say about the evil one, because we had mm. some strange, strange encounters that mm. are hard to even talk about. But they're, they're because people think I'm mm. insane. But, <laughs> but, uh, it, but, but led me to ask mm. a lot of questions about mm. the about the evil one mm. and Jesus yeah. Jesus yeah. said mm. you know there is no truth in him which yeah. has always yeah. Yeah. made me wonder if you know and the and the old testament passages about yeah. lucifer falling are yeah. all questionable yeah. yeah but but if the evil one even so that the the idea that the evil one really that he's entirely empty he's defined mm. by yeah. what he's not yeah. and so um for God to to, to defeat the devil is yeah. he the devil is annihilated or mm maybe origin would say he's created yeah but in some sense that happens mm. so there's an annihilation with all of us of what yeah. is evil yeah exactly but, but the but the evil thing that doesn't even grow unless god but, but breathes his mm. his breath into that mm. piece of clay to begin yeah. the whole process so yeah. th- that and that's another mm. that was another mm. question i had the, to me the doctrine of apocatastasis mm. is mm. is important because of how it Will mm. reforms individuals mm. in their mm. will, mm. but it also seems yeah. that it could be very important mm. for what you talked about at the start mm. of this interview, and that is the mm. unity of the church. So, mm. oh, yeah. when I look at the doctrine, Calvinism and Arminianism mm. come together, liberalism, conservatism mm. come together, um, even mm. a lot of Catholicism and Protestantism, because. You know, I I grew up thinking those crazy Catholics they believe in purgatory, and now I'm like, well, no, that's Hades. That makes perfect that makes perfect sense. And uh, I see all these pieces coming together if we could just mm. drop our lust for for fear. Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it seems like the fear pulls mm. people off of the center, mm. which is the will of God and the love of God in mm. so many mm. different directions. I mean, yeah. do, you, do, you see, do you see that? Yeah, I do think it's a very holistic 
and it's the way of thinking again of the fathers. They have a very holistic approach, and and. Uh, this you see in everything in their anthropology and this you see in their eschatology for instance what I love a lot in one of these many examples that you could have of the holistic thinking of the fathers is exactly the notion of the resurrection uh, and I think again this fascinated me so much when because early of course again I, I've been studying as I mentioned for 20 years but before these 20 years of course I had the doctrines and, and I was say, well of course okay the resurrection of the body looked always to me something like stray, a big hope of course but sometimes I was saying you know I was already uh, from my childhood suffering a lot and, and uh, from all sorts of accidents and illness and then it worsened a lot this is why I was speaking of the cross uh, over the years in the last 10 years a really very heavy cross terrible cross with the body uh, and so uh, I was thinking before looking at this holistic approach, oh, oh my goodness, if it's just, you know, the resurrection of the body, uh, sometimes it looked like uh, it's better not to be resurrected because uh, will it be resurrected with all these uh, terrible illnesses and horrible pains, although uh, if I have to be resurrected like that, it's better I'm not yeah, resurrected yeah, yeah. at all. <laughs> Please, Jesus, don't take the trouble to resurrect me <laughs> because it's best for me. Uh, and that, so this is was one thing I was thinking. And the other thing I was thinking is something like that. There are some theologians, uh, not so much Augustine himself, but there are others who are Italian, uh, who have this very partial, in a way, account of the resurrection, which is not of the great fathers of Apocatastia and all the Origenian tradition of the, the Greek strand, uh, which is resurrection of the body, strictly resurrection of the body, but with a dead soul. So it's a kind of dead man walk. It's something like a concept that for me was monstrous to think of. Uh, a, a body that is resurrected, but for what? For eternal punishment. So you are just resurrected if you are evil, just uh, for you in order to be able to, uh, to under, undergo this terrible punishment. Because if you don't have a body, you cannot suffer so much. And so this is the, the idea that you find in some fathers who are against the Pocatastasis and a few, some thinkers. And this is a kind of sadistic almost idea that God resurrects you in order for you to suffer forever in your body. So this is the scope, the, the aim of the resurrection of the body. So I thought these two things were horrible, both, both of them. So uh, just to have back your body in order to suffer forever, this is horrifying. And it's like a, a monstrum to have a body that is alive just to be punished, and your soul is dead. Because, of course, if you are in sin, your soul is dead. Yeah, the, yeah. the death of the soul is sin. And, and this, is, this is clear. It was already even in Philo. And Philo... Uh, was of course not a Christian, but he was a Platonist and influenced immensely the Christians. And Philo was in a way corrected by origin because Philo was saying, um, well, if a person is dead in her or his soul uh, because he chooses evil consistently, uh, this soul becomes annihilated. And so even if this person is still alive in the body, is really kind of dead man walking in the sense that the soul is dead and the body is still alive. And when also the body will be dead, this person will exist no more because uh, the, the soul is already dead and the body is destroyed. And so this person is annihilated totally. But Origen objected to this kind of thinking, saying no, because again, here creation comes in. God has this 
powerful creative will. Mm -hmm. So if God created every single person, every single being, even an animal, but still also much human being, God wanted this to exist. And if this is annihilated by sin, because sin is evilness and evilness is nothingness, mm -hmm. and so the, the, the consequence is that you go into nothingness if you consistently sin, God doesn't want that because this goes against the creative will of well, it God. Go, it, goes, it goes back to that doctrine of creation, right? Exactly. So, that, so the link a, between creation and apocatastasis. Yeah. Well, and yeah. and that, yeah. that Jesus is the creative word of God. So exactly. Jesus, yeah. the word the can't return yeah. both. Yeah. It can't yeah. return void. So exactly. the, uh, a fascinating verse for me, all these verses jump out that I've never used to pay attention to before, but at the end of John mm. 12, mm. Jesus says, I know the Father's commandment mm. is yeah. eternal life. Yeah. And I, exactly. I love that. So yeah. Yeah. So God's God's commandment will not fail, and it, and exactly. even if I fail, yeah. His commandment. God is faithful. <laughs> yeah, God yeah, is exactly. God is faithful. Yeah. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David, or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime. Let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.